0: Welcome to my podcast, Midlife with Courage, where my goal is to inspire you, a woman who wants to step outside of her comfort zone and live an amazing life. I'm Kim Benoy. I'll share my experiences, stories, and interviews with other amazing women that are meant to help you take those first steps towards something fantastic. So let's not wait another minute to get started. Hey everyone! Before you listen to this awesome episode, I just wanted to let you know that if you would like to get my wonderful essential oil products that I'm creating, watch for a online shop coming soon. This will most likely be attached to my website, MidlifeWithCourage.com, and I am going to be offering my heel balm. And essential oil sprays for sleep and calm and roller bottles and who knows what else I can come up with. So just letting you know ahead of time to watch for that. If you'd like to get notified of that right away when that happens, I would love for you to go to my website and subscribe to my newsletter. Right now, I'm only sending out a newsletter once or twice a month, depending, but if you subscribe to that newsletter, you will be notified of when my online shop is up and ready to go. So check that out at midlifewithcourage.com. Enjoy this episode, and I'll talk to you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Midlife with Courage. I'm Kim Benoit, your host, and I am so happy that you're here. I'm also very happy that I have our guest here today. Her name is Merle Saferstein. Welcome to the podcast, Merle.
1: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here, truly.
0: I'm so excited to have you. So, Merle, you're an educator, a speaker, and an author, and you live in Florida, correct?
1: Yes, I live in North Miami Beach. Yeah, I'm so jealous
0: oh nice nice so let's jump in uh we'd like to share stories here on midlife with courage so let's um tell us you know how did you get to being an educator speaker and author what, what where did you start where did you come from
1: so i i graduated from ohio state and my degree was in elementary education and mm-hmm. i taught third grade and first grade until i had children and um, then and we lived in cleveland and then we moved to florida So my kids are a year and a half apart, so when my son was three, I started teaching preschool so that I could have the same schedule he did, and so I taught preschool for a few years at the same time, I was at my, my local synagogue, and they asked me to direct the day camp, and so I ended up doing that for five years, and we had, we had 350 kids and a staff of 75 so it was a big camp. and from there I went into, I became the director of a preschool and did that for a few years. And then um, I left there because it was really far away. It was like 45 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on traffic. Oh. And I was also going back to school for my master's and I was working with, you know, with my children and had a job. So it was a lot. Um, and so I decided to work at a high school And I was administrative assistant at a new high school. And unfortunately, the principal was a disaster. And it was a really difficult experience. So I left. I never left. And I never quit anything in my life. But I quit in the middle of the school year, which was shocking to everyone, because that's just not, not what I would normally do. And my fear was that I would be giving my children the wrong message, that they wouldn't be hearing that it's okay to quit. But what I learned shortly after was the message was a much bigger message. And that was that if you're not happy with what you're doing, you need to find the, the thing that really speaks to your soul. And so so that was the message my kids eventually got.
0: Wonderful, um, wonderful.
1: Yeah. So I spent a few years just really wandering the beach. I was um, every morning jogging at the beach and I would start writing and um just thinking, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. I kept getting a lot of job offers and it was crazy because each job offer, I would go to the interview and I would sit there and think I will um, be claustrophobic if I have to work in this job. It was just, there was nothing that spoke to me and we really needed the money, but at the same time, it was just not something I could do. So um, I spent literally two and a half years and was at the, um, at the very bottom at one point I was desperate. And then my life changed because of someone that I met at the beach. Really? So, yeah, so um, do you want me to go on and tell you the story? Now? Yeah, I
0: would love to hear that. Cause we like to hear like how things happen. Like what is that okay. aha moment or whatever the story is. So yes, please.
1: So so I was, I was basically set up at the beach with books around me, my writing, And every morning when I would jog, there was a man who was doing the exact same thing. He would jog, we would cross paths, we'd wave. He'd go back to his seat, which was not far down the beach from me. And he was doing the exact same thing. He was writing, he was reading and it took a while. And then one time he stopped at my my, um, seat where I was sitting and introduced himself and his name is Tom. And Tom had been a former priest. He had just left the priesthood. And he was actually working on a documentary on the moral majority. It turns out that Tom grew up in Ohio a half hour away from me. His his life went to South Dakota, where he was a speechwriter for George for George McGovern. Uh-huh. He also did speechwriting for Robert Kennedy. And he was really involved in politics. He was an on-air reporter, television reporter. Uh-huh. And then the Kennedys got shot and um, Martin Luther King got shot and Tom just couldn't, he just couldn't stay. He was he, he was really shattered. And so he left and he started working on this doc, came to Florida, started working on the documentary. Meanwhile, he only was in Florida for a month, but the month that he was here, we had a very intense conversation. He was a poet, among other things. And He also was really, he was a student of Carl Jung's and he was very spiritual. And I was, it was really during my midlife. I was at the time when I met him, I was um, 38 and I was lost. And there was no one I could talk to about these otherworldly things. And I think I was going through an existential crisis and Tom was someone who could really answer those questions. And I remember him saying to me, you know, Merle, you embark on this path there's no turning back and the path was really the path to individuation and so he was my teacher you know they say when the student's ready the teacher appears and he was and so he ended up leaving um, a month after and he went first to Washington and did some some work there and then he went to New York and one of the jobs that he had was a temp job working for this man who was the president of the Anne Frank Center in New York. And he, he asked Tom if he would come and be the executive director of the center. Meanwhile, you have to know that as a priest, I come from, my mother was fairly religious and my mother was only afraid Tom was trying to convert me. So just keep that in the back of your mind. So here Tom goes to the Anne Frank Center and becomes the executive director at the same time someone had found the Anne Frank photo album, family photo album, in a chest of drawers in Germany. And they recognized Anne Frank and sent it to the Amsterdam house, you know, the Anne Frank home in, in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And they, in Amsterdam, ended up making an 800-photographic exhibition of Anne Frank in the World, 1929 to 1945. So it's her family picture surrounded by the whole story of the Holocaust. Wow. Tom's job was to um, take this exhibit and send it around the country. So here I am at the same time now at the very bottom knowing I have to get a job, not wanting any of the jobs that I'm offered. My parents kept saying, this is incredible. I mean, one job after another kept coming to me. <laughs> and was happening. Tom called me up one day and he said, listen, I know you're a journal writer and I, I know that Anne Frank speaks to your soul. Um, I have this exhibit. How would you like to bring it to Miami? You can do anything you want with it. Um, The only problem is that it would be a volunteer position. So my husband was so generous and said, this is something you have to do. So this was in May of of 1985. I brought the exhibit to Miami. And it just took me into my career in Holocaust education, which I was in for 26 years, I was the director of education at a Holocaust center. So, so one never knows. I mean, here's a stranger on the beach. Uh -uh. And my whole life changed drastically. And I did um, some of the most important work that I could have ever imagined doing. Oh, wow. Um, I ended up working with about 500 Holocaust survivors, really working with them and helping them to pass along their legacy to students and teachers.
0: So he led you to the Anne Frank display, which led you to educate about the right. Holocaust. Wow. Right.
1: Because I, because I did programming and I called two women from the Holocaust Center to come speak to the students at this fabulous program we did. Uh-huh. And then they were interested because they saw that I had gotten two students from every high school in Dade um, County, and <laughs> they wanted to do student programming. And so that's how that began. Okay. The, the gift and all of that was the fact that um, I learned the resilience of the human spirit by working with uh. these survivors who lost everything and who could come back and do what they did. Yeah. It's just, it was remarkable.
0: Wow. Yeah, I bet. That was very, I'm sure, life-changing for you as oh, well. For,
1: absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. for sure. So yeah. so I um, back to, to my career and how I became yeah. a speaker. So yeah. I worked for 26 years in education at in, in the Holocaust Center. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, I knew that, that I needed to move on. Mm-hmm. And I um, had always wanted to write this book on the Hollywood Beach Hotel, which kind of fascinated me. It was the hotel in the background of where I spent so much time. And I also was working on this journal project that I had begun. And so I left the center with saying that I wanted to, I was going to write a book. And I also knew that I wanted to speak and teach, and it was just a matter of what did I want to speak on and what did I want to teach. Mm -hmm. And so for a year before I left the center, I posed about 25 questions to myself. Basically, what what will my life look like? Because although I was 67, I knew I was absolutely not done. Mm -hmm. And so I spent that year and answered those questions. I wrote, I think, about 180 pages on just answering and trying to figure out what my life would look like. And by the time I walked out of the center, I was ready. So I wrote the book. I began, and the book really was the vehicle for me to get out and speak. And then um, I started this course called Living and Leaving Your Legacy. And that was 10 years ago. And I have now taught, well, nine years ago, I've taught 60, I think I'm on my 63rd class of six-week, eight-week classes. So I, I've been busy. Yeah, really- you have
0: been. So has your life turned out like what you thought it was going to with those 25 questions? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I and mean, when I walked out the door, I was totally ready to embark on this new life. Uh-huh. And it's, it's turned out how I wanted it to be, but then more. Awesome. Because awesome. I have met so many incredible people and had wonderful experiences as a result.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I love that because that's kind of like, that's what I kind of relate to because at this point in life, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 55 in a few weeks in a month or so. And I think you get to a point where you're like, okay, what more is there? What can I do? Like what you're saying, what, what is my legacy? And I guess I've never used that word before now, but let's talk about that a little bit and how that kind of works into what you're doing as well. Sure.
1: So, so my job at the Holocaust Center was to help the survivors pass along their legacy of remembrance. And so one day I was journaling, maybe six months into that year of deciding what I was going to do next. And the word legacy came down on the page and I said, maybe there's something to that. Maybe maybe there's something I can do with legacy and I really had no idea what that was. But what I came to understand is that how we live our life becomes our legacy and once i understood that i understood that really it's not just what we leave but it's how we live because people watch us they learn from us and that's really the message so in these classes, originally they were eight-week classes, I would divide it half of living and half of leaving your legacy. But then I realized it's really much more living than it is leaving. So so it's usually six weeks of teaching about what legacy means and then and, and how they're living their lives, and then two weeks of maybe doing some kind of legacy project. Um, and and so I have two classes now that I've had. This is so crazy, but one I've had for seven years and one for six years. These women do not want to stop. And wow. so whatever the conversation is, I always say, well, you know, it's it's our legacy. We're talking about our lives and that <laughs> is our legacy. Um but but the the idea of legacy, you know, I think I think we don't necessarily think about the different kinds of legacy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I can just give you a few examples. Yeah, that would be one, great. One example is um, the, the legacy from person to person. So for example, you as a nurse, you had been a nurse, you with your patients, you know the, the lives you touched as being a nurse, for me as, a, as an educator. Let's just tell you a quick story. Um, one of my students who I had in third grade in 1968 contacted me on Facebook and she said, you have to be the same Merle Rothenberg, Safer is who taught me in third grade because i can't imagine anyone else having that name and so this was about three or four years ago or maybe five years ago now and she came to florida and we met and she was she was a grown woman i mean she was ah. in my third grade class there, oh my gosh she was grown up it was incredible and um she we took a picture and she posted it on facebook and then i started hearing from all these students who had been in my class. And one of them said, you know, you were you my favorite teacher because you, you helped me love reading because you used to take us outside and sit us under a tree and read to us. And I was hearing from all these students and realized that, you know, as a teacher and probably as a nurse, you too had this experience. You say goodbye, you walk out of the room and you have no idea what's coming. You have no idea whether you'll ever see these people again, but we make an impact. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. there are other ways within our family, within our community, and the community can be a church, it can be a, an organization. It can be the neighborhood that you live in. Um, and then, and then there's a the professional legacy that you might leave. Uh, my favorite is the legacy um, that we leave to strangers. And, and I'll just tell you two quick stories about that. So one was, I had a friend who had ALS and I went to visit him. This was many, many years ago. He lived in Washington, DC. And I walked in and there was a man sitting there. This man's name was Henry. I just recently found that out from his wife. Um, and Henry was a hospice worker. So this is probably 25 years ago, maybe even more. And hospice was not what hospice is then. What hospice is now. You know, mm-hmm. then it was just really new. And here was a man who every week for two hours each week would come and visit my friend Jules just to visit him. And I was wow. so impressed with that. I just couldn't imagine that anyone would do that. Fast forward several years later, something happened in my life and I felt like I needed to do something meaningful. And I went to a hospice training and I started working with hospice patients, going to homes. And it wasn't until I started teaching this class when I realized the impact that Henry made on me because while I tucked it away, I never really even thought about it until I started talking about what impact strangers have. And then I realized that he really gave me, he opened a door for me that was one of the most meaningful things I could have ever done.
0: Sure, sure.
1: So that's, you know, that's one story. Another story, I have a friend, Linda, who lived half the year in, in Miami and half the year in North Carolina. She would go to this little grocery store every week and have the same cashier who never looked up. And one day Linda said she was she was done she said, I'm going to hold on to my money until this woman looks up at me. And so she did. And they had a tug of war until the woman finally looked up. And Linda said, Oh, my God, you have the most beautiful eyes. And she broke up into a huge smile. At which point Linda said, and your smile, she said, you've deprived us of all this for all these years. Linda said, I never want to walk in again, when I don't see you looking up and smiling. And Linda said that woman's life changed because from that day on she was like a different person wow so so we don't think about the little compliment we give someone or the pat on the shoulder or the whatever Mm -hmm. that can make a difference in someone's life Mm -hmm. and so i think that's a huge legacy that while we might not even be aware of it is happening often in our own lives yeah
0: yeah for sure you gave me goosebumps today Oh, whoa. <laughs> that's awesome. That's very awesome. Um, yeah. So how does your, tell us a little bit about your book then? Cause you, take, okay. So, yeah.
1: so I started journaling in 1974 when I was 30 okay. and, um, I, I have accumulated a uh, three hundred and eighty journals. Oh so wow! <laughs> at, at some point, I know it's it's crazy. So at some point, I realized, you know, I, I always thought maybe I'd leave them to my children, but I realized at some point that I really write these journals for myself, and that that I couldn't imagine leaving my journals to my children and them having them and not being able to talk to me about what was in them or about um, them seeing things in their confidences that people have have um, entrusted me with that I would never want anyone to read, but I needed to process and so I would write about them. Mm-hmm. So I, at some point, and it took me a long time, a lot of agony back and forth trying to decide. I decided that what I was going to do was to take excerpts from my journals and put them into a book for my children um I didn't really know what that looked like but I but I felt like that was the best thing and I kept thinking all along there has got to be something in these journals worth sharing as a as an educator myself just who I am but I didn't know and I knew that I needed to go back and read them so I actually began I started um when I was 50 I went to to a a hotel motel in on Hollywood Beach for three months, and started doing it, wrote a book from about 32 journals. But what I realized later was it was really all fluff, because I was not really ready at that point to share the real stuff. And so in 2002, I went back and seriously began Um, a journey that took 14 years to go through my journals, take excerpts according to originally 70 topics. I whittled it down to 22. So I have two volumes. Um, (laughs) The first one coming out in June and the second one will be um, next year. And each one has 11 11 chapters in it. And they are excerpts from my journals, the good, the bad, the ugly, difficult, the joyous. Um, I've really said it all. I realized wow. that, that um, if, if I, and, and the reason I've done this is twofold. A, because um, I really hope that people will understand the power and the gift of journaling. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And the second is that it's not really, well, it is about my life. What I really hope is that people will read this book and look at their own lives so that my, my life will serve as a mirror for them to reflect on their life and their legacy and how they're living it. Hmm. And so Hmm. at the end of each chapter, I have a reflection where I go back and, and reflect on what I've read from, you know, from the excerpts. And then I have journal prompts and I leave two pages for people to journal should they be inclined, or even just to think about some of these things.
0: Sure, sure. I love it. I love books that you have to kind of think about too, and you can kind of participate almost in the book by doing the little um, the guide. I love that how we live our life becomes our legacy. I think you are a wonderful example of that. Just by sharing as a teacher, when you talked about your students, and I remember my favorite teacher, and it was the same thing. He he would read to us in class every day, and I love to read, and I know that's because of him. So how you're living your life is wonderful. Um, how did you have your kids read the books or the book? The first so
1: one, interestingly enough, um, I before I my husband heard every chapter as I read it. I've since edited, added things. There are a few things I've added that he hasn't read that he probably will never read, and it's probably just as well <laughs> because I realized that it was I needed to put more of the real stuff in there. So I went back to my journals after the first draft. Okay, for, for my kids, I sent them the parenting chapter before anyone else saw it. And I said, I want you to read it and be comfortable with it. And let me know if there's anything in here that that doesn't work for you. So interestingly enough, I've changed names and sometimes gender when I want to tell a story, but I don't want to expose someone. So my son got the, got the chapter and about I don't know, two hours later, he called me up and he said, so mom, who is Stella? And I'm like, there is no Stella. He was, he <laughs> didn't recognize Stella and he needed to figure out who that was. But oh. it was really funny. Oh, um, and, and so my daughter and he, Michael was fine with everything. He didn't need me to change anything. My daughter called me up and she said, mom, um, have you anywhere in the book written about My having been sexually abused. And I said, no. And she said, I think you need to. And I was shocked because at 10 years old, 10 to 11, she was abused by someone, sexually abused for over that period of time. It was a babysitter of ours. And that was before we knew, before anyone talked about this. I mean, as an educator, it never even crossed my mind. And here it was happening in my own home. And so I said to Rebecca, what I did write, the, the two paragraphs I wrote were basically about how society can come and take away someone's innocence. And I I was very unspecific, Mm -hmm. but she said, I didn't even realize that was what this was about. And so she said, really, I I think it's important because we hear about the person who's been abused, but we never hear from the parents. And she said, I think that your writing about it would be helpful. So I went back to that journal and it was really painful to read again. I took the excerpts, I put them in, I I shared them with her, she was comfortable with it. And then I thought, you know, people are gonna read this and they're gonna say, whoa, you know, how could she write about this? You know, this is really revealing way beyond. So in the reflection piece on on parenting, I write about how Rebecca asked me to do this Mm -hmm. because I think it's really, it was so brave of her and it shows how much growth she's made and right. and hopefully it will be helpful to parents elsewhere
0: yeah definitely yeah I've come into contact with so many people with that situation and I think you're right you don't usually hear from the parents right I think that's important
1: she well, did read the whole book and, okay uh, And we have lots of conversations. My son has not. He said he wants to wait till he can hold it in his hand. And I'm like, all right,
0: that's Oh, nice. (laughs) That's nice. (laughs) Very cool. So um, by the time this episode comes out, your book should be out. So where can we find it? And how do we get a hold of you if we want to contact you and talk to you?
1: Okay, so the book uh, will be on Amazon you can get it on Amazon and um, it will be available in bookstores and in libraries as well mm-hmm. but Amazon is the place to go to purchase it okay. my website is www merle saferstein so it's m e r l e r saferstein s a f e r s t e i n.com and that has all my um, connections to social media and talks about the book and talks about my journaling, the the journaling process of going back and reading them.
0: Okay, awesome. And we will put all that information in the show notes so people can just go ahead and click on that and get that. Merle, I feel like I could talk to you all day. (laughs) I would like to. (laughs) Yeah, you have amazing stories, but we will maybe have you on another time and we'll talk about your journey again. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: And thank you for having me. It was really a delight to get to talk to you, and I certainly appreciate it.
0: Thank you. All right. Well, you have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Midlife with Courage, and I hope that you've been inspired and motivated to live your amazing life. I'm Kim Benoy, and I want you to live every moment. For more inspiration and motivation, check out my website, www.midlifewithcourage.com. You can read more about my story and find links to more great information. Take care of your beautiful self, and I'll talk to you soon.